Put him on his back. Thurston, right foot kick, down the ground, into the end goal almost. Hodgson cuts it off. Hodgson taken by Norton. He took him late. Marshall skips away. Marshall skips away. Marshall's still going. Marshall's got Richards coming up outside. Now inside. Richards pursued. He pushes Johnson away. Welcome, Tiger Town Podcast, Saturday, 16th of December. I got so excited, I nearly, I did, actually mix up the order of the intro. Welcome, I'm Zach, he's Toby. Over in the corner, I've got the camera here, it's all happening. What a week. We've had to do an extra show. Mate, how are you going? Yeah, yeah, we were, nope. we were discussing it just before, and we decided, look, there's too much that's happened this week for us not to do an extra show, so, look, I'm excited to talk about it, I'm excited to discuss it at length, and, um... I guess you being you, you've done your little your digs and things like that, so you know probably the ins and outs of a lot of the other stuff that maybe some others don't. So it's really excited to learn what you've uh, uncovered and if it's more than what everyone else is, I guess, sharing. So, Well, look, the big stories this week, if you've been living under a rock or you haven't been following the Tiger Town Podcast Facebook page, obviously we had the news earlier in the week Justin Pascoe resigned. The entire board completely wiped and replaced with an interim one uh, with Barry O'Farrell as the interim chairperson. Uh, And then you've got, obviously, the interim CEO being Shane Richardson. Now, we'll get to that later in the show, but this morning, which has prompted the the bonus Christmas episode here, is obviously the official but unofficial word that Jerome Luai has agreed to terms with the Tigers on a five-year, $6 million deal from 2025, if you please. Now, there's a few things we need to go through with that, not least of all this 10-day cooling off bits and pieces as to where it all sits. But, mate, first impressions. Um, Jerome Luai, five years, $6 million. Thoughts? Did you think we were going to get there? What's the value like? (laughs) I did not think we were going to get there. I was adamant he was going to stay at Penrith, especially when they upped it to an extra year. I thought he was was definitely going to stay chase some more rings, but um, look, I think I made my feelings well-known previously about us going for Luai. We get him, it's a huge signing. He is a talented half and a half that we need. But if we didn't get him, I still thought we had a good crop coming through that can take us into the future. Um, It just would take a little bit longer than we would have liked. you know, obviously this year we've got Sullivan to try to guide them into that. Um, you know, not Sullivan, sorry, uh, Caesar. But we've got Bud as well, who's got a little bit of first-grade experience to uh, move into that as well. Um, but, look, I think that, I think with everything that's happened, I guess, with us and big-name signings, You know, nothing's ever been confirmed or nothing's ever really gotten to this point with these signings, but I'm still not counting my chickens, if I'm being honest. I still feel that something is going to happen, and I guess that's just the pessimist in me when it comes to being a Tigers fan. You know, we have had so many chances to sign big-name players since we let our big three go, Um, and we've come up short every single time. So I think, you know... Fool me once, you know, blame on me, fool me twice. I mean, blame on you, whatever the saying is. Don't even know it anymore. But, um, yeah, look, 
a roundabout way of saying that it's if it happens, I'm extremely happy with it. <laughs> okay, so the the news started to get out a little bit. Um, say, I think Wednesday, Thursday, that the Bulldogs were had emerged as the new front runners. They were looking around a five million for five sort of deal. Of what I heard, however, there was no no deal put forward. I think Dean Ritchie originally. Uh, reported on that in terms of the mainstream media fellows. Yeah, I don't think Dan Ritchie's ever broke a story in his life. No, it's a lot of recycled stuff. I think he's got his own unique sources, but uh, yeah, I can't remember Dean Ritchie being somebody who's broken anything. Um, not a bad reporter, but I don't, I don't think he's well known for being a. No, he's he's unbiased, which I do like. But he, I don't, I don't see him as an investigative reporter. I don't see him doing that. He usually does a few opinion and fluff pieces these days. Then come uh, yesterday now, being this is a Saturday, and Friday afternoon we started to see, or started to hear a few little whispers and bits and pieces that Jerome Luai had, um, had, if not done a deal, then decided on the Tigers. But it was only very a bit of scuttlebutt, I think I'd mentioned in, in our private chat. I heard a couple of whispers around that yesterday afternoon, late yesterday. Lo and behold, this morning, Michael Chemis, who conversely is a big newsbreaker, I think he's got a fair few fingers in pies and get some advanced knowledge. Um, he broke the story. Originally, I think that Leroy had signed the deal, but I think he actually backtracked and changed the subtlety of his language to is set to sign. Uh, and basically the details of the deal are, as we mentioned before, six years over, uh, sorry, five years, $6 million over five years. That equates to 1.2 a year. Um, by all reports, it's done. Now, there's been multiple mainstream media articles and I've seen and heard uh, from a number of different other non-mainstream sources that it is done. And and when it says done, it means he's agreed to terms. So let me just explain as best I understand to try to make it very simple the way this brand new 10-day cooling off period works. Uh, as far as I could tell, the cooling off period was one of the things that everybody hated the most about the old situation and they got rid of it and everybody loved it, but it's back in apparently. So here we go. The way that it happens, as far as I'm aware, and correct me if I'm wrong, anybody, any of our listeners out there, but my, to my understanding, uh, teams put forward their offers towards a free agent. A free agent can then make a decision. So all official offers that are put forward are put through essentially the NRL, or the NRL is at least an aware party of each offer. So the NRL would have been aware of our offer to Jerome. Jerome then indicates to us in the NRL that he intends to accept that offer. Once that is put in place, that starts the 10-day cooling-off period. Now, the 10-day, unfortunately, is business days, is my understanding as well. So that's a two-week period then. So essentially, as a fortnight. Now, in that fortnight, Penrith and Penrith only have a right of refusal to be able to go back to the renegotiating table and see if they can reconvince him to come back and over. I think the idea behind that originally was there to allow teams to uh, have, I guess, the last right of reply in losing key talent um, rather than just having constantly pilfered. The irony in this situation is it could possibly help the three-time premiers um, retain a player that is headed to a struggling club. However, it's that's just the way that it works. However, all indications are if Jerome's had several months to consider his offers that most likely he will accept, you know, he has already intended he'll accept our offer. So unless Penrith come back with some sort of outrageous changes, Expect it to stay the same. It's just one of those affair complies. We've just got to sort of wait it out. The other outcome possibly, other than it just lapsing and him officially signing, is that he could have cold feet and elect to withdraw his acceptance. At that point, essentially, he just goes back into free agency. So the 10-day, the 10-day, still haven't um, 
lubricated that chair, yeah. I think. Yeah, no, my the 10-day period then becomes null and void and it just goes back to what it was before he agreed to accept the offer. So um, obviously a nervous wait, but uh, something you would assume on the vast, vast majority of signings henceforward would just go off without a hitch. Once that indication to the NRL is there, generally speaking, I think that the decision has been made and, and that's why Shamus had released that article. Now, um, the other thing to consider is that players don't actually sign at the start of the 10-day period. So they don't sign the contract and then 10 days go by. They actually um, they make their intention to agree to terms. So they actually agree to terms. The NRL is aware. At the conclusion of that 10-day period, that is when they actually sign. So that's when they physically sign their name on the contract at the conclusion of that 10-day period. You will note that in following to all the releases today about him agreeing to um, uh, accept the, the Tigers' deal, which is brilliant for us. Uh, he has since hopped on social media, as he loves to, good old Romy, and he has said, quote, no pen to paper here. I'll let yous, no comment on that one, I'll let yous know when a deal is done, big love. So I think he's very careful with his words there, meaning he hasn't officially signed, uh, but he will let you know when the deal has been actually signed off on. That fits with the 10-day period because he doesn't actually sign until the conclusion of that. The indications are, you'll notice he didn't refute the fact that he's linked to the Tigers or that there's a deal there to be done. He didn't He didn't uh, deny anything to do with the Tigers. So effectively, all that means is that we've signed Luai without him actually signing the signature. After 10 days, he'll sign his name on the dotted line. We'll get an announcement in a couple of weeks and he will be in the side in 2025. So let's say this does, like, let's say that, you know, you're, you've said you're 99% sure this is going through. Um, I'm, I'm a hundred percent sure. Oh, there you go. Well, I am, I'm still, yeah, like I said, I've been burnt, just sort of wait until that, but being Luai and being the person that he is in terms of bigger than life, could you see a uh, LeBron James heading the South Beach sort of press conference. In what way? Like, you know how, well, we all know what LeBron did when he signed with Miami back then. Mm. Held mm. a massive press conference to say he's taking his talents. Can you see that little I actually put in a bit of a press conference together to say that he's leaving, officially leaving the Pandas and has signed with the Tigers? Oh, no, I don't think so. I'd... No, I don't know. Maybe. I don't, I don't necessarily see that happening, but um, yeah, in fact, it's been reported that on Saturday morning, which is this morning, he told teammates that he'll be leaving Penrith, and he and he also told them that he's going to the Tigers. So, um, it, I think that in some scenarios, there's going to be situations where um, certain players sign for rivals, and the ten day period is actually a genuinely a genuine continuance of negotiations with their current club where it's touch and go, and they could be talked around. I think the situation's different. It's been a long-running saga. He's had a long period of time to make his decision. He finally has. Um, he's already notified his teammates and everything. You know, to get to that point, um, yeah. you think you would have to make the decision. He wanted to have made his decision last week, so he's already delayed his decision at that point. Uh, the other side of the coin is it's not like it's neck and neck. It's not like money or, or years in the contract that Penrith can re-offer. He's going to sway him that much. Uh, plus, you know, there's still that allure of being the guy, and I think that's a big appeal in and of itself. So 
you know, it's not it's not a scenario, say, where what could we say? The Roosters or the Dolphins try to sign Junior Tupo, for example, um, and he agrees to terms with them, but then we can go back and negotiate an extra fifty grand or an extra seventy five grand or something, maybe an extra mutual option where it's touch and go. I think and you know, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but um, that's my read on it, and I don't see this as the typical type of, of um, deal that would likely see somebody like him backflip. So I'm, yeah. Um, I think, like I said, I'll happily, like... happily, happily be wrong. And so I'll say, yeah, he, it's 100% done. Well, it is done. It's just um, yeah. a formality we've got to wait. Yeah, I think, you know, again, like I said, pessimist attitude. We'll wait till uh, the pen's on paper, but you'd like to think that he's got a few people in his ear as well from the Tigers. So Abby would having massive conversations with him, the chance to work together again. You could tell the big difference between the way Luai played when Appy did leave. Luai did have a little bit more of a, didn't, didn't, didn't get as freed up as he would like. Um, and then so and so, so on, Cleary had to take charge, which was a, you know, very clear last year that Cleary probably dominated a little bit more than Luai did, whereas Appy can kind of pick where he wants to go and Luai follows and then he can be a little bit more of that. So you can see that that's probably something that has swayed in our favour. I think, um, you know, he's, couple, he's got a couple of the Samoan boys there who are probably having a bit of a word to him. So, you know, Steph would be um, having a bit of a word to him. So, you know, it's not like he's he's coming to a team where he's not familiar with how people are playing. Um, but, yeah, it's... Yeah. Look, the, the other thing I want to mention as well, uh, before we dive in, I guess, too much as to what he's going to offer and that sort of stuff is, which we sort of have, um, the, the other concern in this period of time before there's an official announcement and there is pen to paper, so to speak, would be the Bulldogs. They've been sniffing around quite heavily, particularly of late. I don't understand how they can afford him. They were definitely they had in the in the in the um, in the ring, but um, they the Bulldogs don't have any rights to negotiate with Luai now. So the only way that the Bulldogs can come to the table now is if Luai act uh, actively withdraws his acceptance of the deal within this ten day period. So if he does that, like I said earlier, he effectively becomes a free agent and it's like he never accepted in the first place. And then the Bulldogs can dive back in and so can we again if we wanted to. Um, But that's where it appears to be. That being said, there's nothing to stop the Bulldogs having conversations, continual conversations outside of it, which might entice him to do that. Um, But, yeah, I don't know. I guess we have to wait and see around that. It would probably be the case of the Bulldogs having to having to stump up 1.4 or 1.5 for him. And if, if, if it gets to that point, then so be it. But effectively, the news is Jerome Luai will be with the Tigers in 2025. So we've talked several times because we've speculated a fair bit, I guess, about what he brings. So we know we know that, mate. But I want to ask you a bit of a different puzzle. Mm-hmm. We can start planning for this. There'll be a, you know, there might be a 1% chance it doesn't happen, but for all intents and purposes, he's going to be in our side. Does he play halfback or does he play 5'8", in your opinion? Look, I think that he'll get first crack at halfback because that's what he wants to play. Um, whether he is... Uh, he's done for Samoa. He took him to a uh, quarterfinal, semifinal at a World Cup. Final. Remember. Final. 
he played Australia. They played Australia in the final. There you go. He, so at halfback. He, he played at halfback, yeah, because it was the first time I think that he and Cleary had played against each other since juniors. There you go. So he showed that he can do it, and he showed that he can step on the big stage. So he'll get first crack. Um, yep. It's probably um, a bit bitter. Uh, there'll be a bit of taste in in Bud's mouth because, you know, obviously that's a jersey he wants badly. Um, and we're both in agreement that um, that Lardu is probably going to be the 5'8". So, look, I think that it will. he will be halfback. Um, whether he stays there is probably another story. Um, he hasn't continuously been a halfback for a while. You know, Shane Richardson came on in the media conference and said that, you know, he's uh, uh, he's been a fan of Luai since the younger younger days. Um, you know, obviously tried to sign him at Souths. Um, thought he was better than Cleary coming through. So there's high praises on him from internally. Uh, obviously don't know what Benji wants. Benji's been very, very good at keeping a lot of things to his chest, which I like. You know, there's not as many leaks as there once were. And I think he's a big reason for that. But um, again, roundabout way. Uh, probably start at halfback. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> yeah, well, he played a lot of halfback in juniors as well. Um, I think that he is he a year older than Cleary? Or a couple of years older? I think he is. Uh, he'll be 27 next year, yeah. How old's Cleary, though? I think Cleary's, what, 24? 25. Is he? I remember that because of that whole Mary Fowler thing was in the news every day. Yeah, you'd be keeping up with all the celebrity gossip, mate, wouldn't you? Oh, mate. Mate, give me Woman's Weekly any day of the week. It's great. Uh, yeah, so he played prominently halfback coming up, and so did uh, so did Cleary. So, um, yeah, he'll be 27 uh, mid-next month. Oh, yeah, so, yeah, 16th of January. Not far off. Uh, uh, not far from me. No. Uh so, yeah, he's played plenty of halfback. I agree with you. I think he'll be given the first first crack. He came through as a controlling half. People forget that. Um, obviously, he's got a little bit more of an enig- enigmatic nature about him, a little bit more um, unorthodox, a little bit a little bit of Benji about him, might I say. But uh, he, was a, he was an on-ball controlling half coming through, and we saw that, what he did with Samoa. We've spoken ad nauseum before about his success rate with Penrith when he plays halfback, you know, in a gun side, obviously, but um, his his win ratio is significantly better without Cleary than what Cleary's is without Luai. Um, so if nothing else, that speaks to the fact, it might doesn't speak to the fact he's a better player. They're completely different players, obviously, and Cleary is just, um, he's just an absolute weapon. But what it does say is that at the very least, Penrith as a side don't lose anything with him in that position. And in a superstar side like they are, that's that's saying something. But <clears throat> excuse me, I believe he's got all the skill sets, all the experience, all the leadership to be able to play halfback. And you want him there, you know. Yeah. You, you get to sign him for one point two a year. He's your marquee man. He's going to be the bloke you want. Uh, who whose hands you want on the ball as much as possible? You know, Appy obviously will touch the ball the most, but then Luo is going to be uh, a close second. And I think that he just he brings. You know, the, the swagger stuff is obviously a confidence thing. And from the outside looking in, it's painful to look at sometimes. But what it is, is a, a self-confidence and a self-belief that just comes from winning. And yeah. so 
you know, by default with that, we're starting to get some out-and-out competitors in that squad. You know, I, I put Clemmer in that basket. Appy, obviously. Johnny Bateman. No one hates yeah. losing more than John Bateman. You bring yeah. you bring Luai into that team, and then all of a sudden you bring these juniors through who have done nothing but win since they went undefeated in Harold Matz. You know, so it's starting to we're starting to backfill this squad with a team of winners, yeah. uh, and people with confidence, and that just settle for nothing less, as opposed to plotters who just are happy to be first graders. That you've said yourself for a long time. You know, people that are just happy to say they've played NRL. So yeah, yeah, mate, the tide's yeah. turning. I, you go. Oh, I was going to say, I think the, before we get onto that, and we, I just stick on the wire for two secs. I think another thing that he brings, and this is something that I've been vocal of for a long time. I think I've been vocal of it this whole time the podcast has been going. Is you need a halfback to have a voice. You need a halfback to be yelling at your players where you want to do, where they, where you want them to be. You see how Hastings was last year with us. You see how it was this year with the Knights. That's how, in my eyes, that's a quality, you know, game and not game and shit, not a quality, I don't know, let's just say quality half. I don't know what word I was going for there, but we'll say quality half is somebody that has a voice. Now, quality half back, I meant to say that because, um, you know, obviously we haven't had that. You know, Brooks is a very quiet player. He's a great ball runner, but he is not a game manager. That's the word I was looking for, game manager. He is not a game manager, has never really been that way. And that's why, you know, we, you and I both agree this is a tangent, if anything, but he'll go well at Sea Eagles because he's not that. But that's what Luai is. Luai has that voice. Like, we all remember what happened either this year or last year. I can't remember what happened, but uh, Jamin Salmon did something on the field that stuffed up a play. He got in Salmon's face and had a go at him. And, that, like, that's the thing. They didn't sit there and they didn't, you know, go sulk in a corner or not show up to training late or, you know, have a calf strain on his on, on a Monday. I, know, I think we all know who I'm talking about there. Um, didn't have a whinge about the way that things were going. They went, they had a go at each other. They fired up. And I think they went on to win that game because that's what he does. He says, I, I provide the, the, the standard. I, provide, I, I set the standard. You don't match it. Get off the field. And I've always said that about him. He can be an arrogant prick. And that... It, I, he's going to, if he wears a Tigers jersey, I love him. If he doesn't wear a Tigers jersey, I'll hate him. It's just the end of, that's, that's the end of it. Because that's the, um, way that it, that's the way that it works, mate. Yeah, because he's an arrogant prick. He is so arrogant, but he's kind of earned that. It's not what, there's not a lot he hasn't achieved in this game. If he wins a Dally M and, and a World Cup for Samoa, he will literally have achieved everything in this game. That's why it's hard. Why it's hard to um, hard to argue with somebody who has a bit of swagger or ego or arrogance about them if they back it up with results. Exactly, um, it's hard to argue. So, let me ask exactly. you something. We've again we've spoken about it a little bit before, but twenty twenty five, Aiden Caesar. It's a straight swap that makes that a bit easy. Who knows what happens with Dewey? He probably sails off into the sunset. Um, sort of rebuilding himself. Rebuilding him himself at this point might be. Might be hard pressed, at least of all, maybe a you know a training trial or a um, a minimum wage or something, top thirty filler. But twenty twenty five, we're going to have Jerome Luai, Latu Fainu, um, Lockie Galvin, and Sullivan there. Do you think we can keep all of them? Do we need to keep all of them? Um, just really quickly, because I think this is a retouch, but it's it's exciting to do now, given that Luai is coming. One of them's got to play five eight, right? Yep. 
Um, Fainu and Galvin normally wouldn't be a concern. However, these are the two best halves in the country of their age bracket. You might put Ethan Sanders in there, but the way that these boys have just kicked on thus far, you'd say that these are the two best in the country and we've got both of them. Um, they're both 18. Sullivan's 21. So how do you see that sort of working out from 2025 onwards? And what's the most likely scenario? Oh, that's a hard one, isn't it? Um, excuse me. Um, to be honest, no, I don't think we'll keep them all. I would love to say that we could. Um, I think that there is talk that Galvin could be pushed into more of a lock forward position or a back rower. Um, you know, it's very similar to a Wade Graham in terms of that transition. Uh, I think that with Luai coming, you know, you're adamant, I'm not yet, but we'll see. Um, it's fair to say that we both agree that next year it'll be Latu and Jerome getting first crack. I think that'll be very oh, frustrating so, for Bud Sullivan. Sullivan. Um, you mean 2025? Sorry, yes, 2025. Sorry, 2025. I keep thinking it's, it's not close to the end of the year yet. Not close. It's not far from the end of the year, sorry. Um, yeah, for 2025, Luai and... Latu will get first crack as the halves pairing. Um, and, yeah, like I said, I can see, that, like I said, there's been chatter that Galvin will start the transition to a back rower. He may be the best half for a 17-year-old, but we all know that that transition doesn't always go smoothly. Um, but I can see Bud Sullivan getting frustrated, and I can see that being he'll, he'll be the casualty, unfortunately, which sucks because... You know, I think that Sullivan could definitely be something. Um, the only issue is if he wants to be something, he has to wait six years to do it. So, and he's not going to wait that long. He'll be 27. Uh, like, if he wants to be something at our club. Um, unless he's the 5'8". Unless he's the 5'8". So I, I think, you know, as much as I'm talking up Fainu and Galvin, and rightly so, they are 18-year-old, 18-year-old. So earlier this year, they were children literal children so it is a very easy situation i think to put the cart before the horse and i think we hear about these names it's probably my fault <laughs> um we hear about these names probably way earlier than we need to and we sometimes put the cart before the horse a little bit um in regards to that if you look at excuse me uh the fact that they are 18 and you look at when would a half begin to hit their straps or begin to enter um, solid a solid portion of their career, you would think it would probably be 22 or 23 at the absolute earliest, which is five years from now for those two boys. So they do have a lot of development still to go, those fellas. Um, so it's very easy to pretend they're going to be pushed straight in. And, and I've one that's spoken about how I think Fayun is pretty ready, same way that I say Katoa was this year for the Dolphins. Um, good enough, old enough. But I don't expect Isaiah Katoa to hit his straps for another three or so years at least. I think he's got a lot of development to go. And I think the same with Fainu. What I think the Luai signing does is it actually buys us time. And so what you do say then is if Latu, for example, because I don't think Galvin is physically ready. I'll, I'm very, very no, confident. He's, he's six foot four or thereabouts already at 18 years of age. And he's built like my pinky finger. So he's certainly not playing in the middle. He doesn't. He won't be able to play physically 
in that sense. Um, we heard Talon, who's far shorter and, and heavier pound for pound, talk about when he made his debut, he spoke that he was, he was really light and he was early 80s. And he said he just got ragdolled, but he did his best. I remember Nelson running at him in his, um, in his debut talent. Yeah, yeah. So, so I don't know that Galvin's quite ready. I'm happy to see the likes of um, Fayunu and Sullivan duke it out to see who is best. I'm guilty of not not ruling Sullivan out because I like what I like the possibilities of what Jaden Sullivan, Bud Sullivan, can bring. I actually think he can be brilliant. And if they, if he and Latu go head to head and train the house down and they they play out of their skin, I don't care who it is. But remember, you know, with Bud only being 21, he's played NRL. So we could have Sullivan and Luai there for the first couple of years, even, and then we could look at look at um, Galvin or um, Fayunu when they're about 2021. 20, and that's still three years down the track. Yeah, and they're still true. really, really young young men. So what it does do is it buys us time and it brings our um, our overhaul of our roster way forward. So we don't have to wait three or four years to have these halves. And in the meantime, hope that they're ready. We've got a ready-made solution, three-time premiership winner, incumbent Blues 5-8, arriving in 12, little less than 12 months. He'll be here November one next year. All things being um, being equal. Yeah, yeah, that is very very true, and that's definitely something I, I feel that I'm guilty of. You know, you've been a huge like you talked up Fainu for better part of probably six Two months years. before he signed. Yeah. Um, well, you probably talked about him. I didn't pay attention to him when you were talking yeah. about him because we he wasn't on our radar. So you know, if you don't talk about somebody that's going to be in a West Tigers, I uh, probably zoning and out to be honest. Um, <laughs> But it is, it's very easy to just think that he's just going to slot straight in when, yeah, in reality, he turned 18 like six months ago, if that. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Galvin Galvin reminds me a lot of Dewey um, in the terms of the way he's built and his stature. Yeah. And so Dewey wasn't, exa- Dewey wasn't pushed in at an early age or anything like that, but you can see the run of injuries that Dewey has had because he's lanky because he's probably not, hasn't put enough muscle where he needs to. Yes, he has dodgy knees, but it's like likely that there's some contributing factor there to the way he's physically built. Um, yeah, possibly. Again, I'm not also, a... Dewey, Dewey also did play NRL at 18. Was that when he debuted for Souths? Yeah. Yeah, I'm relatively certain he was 18. If he was not 18, he most certainly... I'll look that up, so I'm in the interest yeah, of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You all right? Keep talking. Oh, well, that's, and that's another thing too. Like if you really do think about it and you say like it brings everything forward a little bit, what it also does is it doesn't throw things. Sorry, it was 19. Yeah, well, that's still, that's still, come on. Like if you're not 21 and you've made an NRL debut, you're still a kid. Come on. Let's, let's be, let's call a spade a spade here. But um, what it does do is, you know, and like I said, like I, I said, Finu and that and Sullivan might be the uh, the the extra that gets pushed aside. But again, that wasn't taken into consideration. Everything you just pointed out. But I'll, I'll re- retract again. What it does do is it um, gives these kids a little bit more time. Doesn't throw them into the deep end. Gives them a chance to play against men. And you made a real good point. It was either last pod or the pod before of next year. You start with Caesar, you start with Sullivan, you do a whole year of Fainu playing New South Wales Cup to build 
um, to build a partnership with De Silva. He keeps Simkin as your 14, and that's the way you should run. And you really think about that, like, you know, obviously you can. anyone who listens to this pod regularly enough knows that you're more of the strategic mind kind of a thinker. You tend to think how things are going to probably pan out in the long run and how to actively look at this, where I potentially talk with my heart, not my head. So, yeah, you're definitely thinking more of a strategic point, and that does make a lot of sense. So... Hmm. Yeah, mate. I, I think it's really encouraging in that regard. I think we're, I think we're pretty f- future proof now. The challenge is to, to hold crazy, on to them. Yeah, yeah. The challenge is to go rightio in two years' time. So let's say twenty start of twenty twenty six or the end of twenty twenty five. Lou eyes arrive for his first season. We've made top four, knocked out in the prelim. Um, <laughs> what? Look, I love it. I love it. Let's do it. Anyway, just let me finish. I'm not not there yet. Um, And let's say we've still got the other, we've got those guys all on the books now. The discussion then becomes, rightio, well, what is the path forward? And I think it will be at that point that we all know who our 5'8 is, no doubt. Either it's Fayunu, Sullivan or Galvin. Um, But it's an interesting discussion because if they're all still here and committed, obviously at that point, Fainu, Sullivan still have two years to run, and I think Galvin also has two years to run, although he might at that stage. I think he's only on a three-year contract starting next season. So, um, anyway, that's beside the point. But we, we should know at that point who our 5'8 is. Now, the point I was trying to make is, do we choose the best 5'8", or do we choose the 5'8 that is the best fit for the team? And what I mean by that is, if if, say, Galvin is the best fit, He's slightly outplaying Bud, for example, or he's slightly outplaying Fainu, or he's a bit of a better option. However, we're a bit short in the second row at that point. Maybe, maybe Papali'i shoots back to the Warriors or something, and or whatnot. And we're better playing Fainu there, so Galvin can be in the twelve. You get what I'm saying? So, oh yeah, yeah. it's the same. You're going down the same mentality that Brad Fittler had, whereas fit every or not, not so much. It started off with Gus Gould with. You try to fit everyone in the side as best you can, um, given what they're playing and how we need them to play. So that's why you I think that might have even been back to Jack Gibson. Don't do it again. Uh, no, where he no, said, I'm going to do it again because yeah. I finished my bloody point. Well, you interrupted me. I didn't. Anyway. Yeah. I think it was yeah. even Jack Gibson that said, you pick the best players and you find a spot for them. It might not have been oh, Gibson, might get someone like that, but yeah, you're yeah, right. That, I, that's what you do. I thought it was cool, but it could have been Gibson. But that's yeah. the thing, and like, yeah, you know, great example of that is back like in the early 2000s. Um, you know, Kamali was the best half at that point in time, but you couldn't have left out uh, Andrew Johns, so he played number nine. Yeah. So, yeah, and this is this is my point too: is you can carry too many halves in a top 30. Five halves is a lot to carry, and so let's say at that point, say we don't have five. Um, but we may do because Heath Mason, who's a development player, I think next year, uh, sorry, in 20, he might be 25, 26. He'll be, he should be up there. He's a bit of a utility backslash half, but you're going to have Galvin likely Sullivan, Luai, um, and Fainu. And that's not withstanding anybody else. But if you've got versatility in those players or you've got other ways that you can use them effectively, then it becomes value for money because not only, can you fit your best players in that side as in you don't have to trade them off to get somebody else in? 
by virtue of the fact that they are versatile, it means you can fit them all in, plus you've also got the backup at the same time. So if you've got Galvin, who is going to slide into second row once he fills out a little bit, if our five-eighth happens to go down, we've got him that can slide in. If we've got Fainu, who's played the house down and is the starting five-eighth at the age of 20, but we carry Bud at 14 because he offers that utility value, if Fainu goes down and we don't want Galvin to slide in there because he had to go out to cover for somebody in centre, we can throw Sullivan into. Yeah. You know, so yeah. the versatility allows that that sort of option, and, and that's a huge thing too. If you've got four or five Adam Reynolds in your team, that's four or five out-and-out halfbacks. There's no, no versatility and- there, but our boys that we've got here, we've even seen Fainu play hooker, hooker. for Tonga. Oh. You know, so, yeah, I, I think that I'm not a big fan of utility players per se, but given the versatility of these players, um, I think that, again, it's it's only a positive for us. Yeah, well, just to sort of, I guess, put it down from what you just said, right now you're you're talking purely just from the club perspective. You also got to think from the, the players' perspective. They might you know, put up with that for a, a year, but, you know, Bud Sullivan's been a utility before, um, probably wouldn't want to go back to that again. So right now, like that all sounds great in a perfect world. And that's the definitely like a huge advantage to the way that, you know, you can utilize those halves, but I think it has to be like, obviously it has to be a two-way street. They have to be on board for that. And I can't see anyone sitting there going, yeah, I want to be a utility. So yeah, absolutely. I agree. But remember that out of the three, other than Luai, who's the most expendable? Yeah. Bud Sullivan. Yeah. He's also the oldest, which means that he's going to be the most impatient. So he's the most expendable. We, we haven't seen enough of the other two to develop yet to know they're going to be better. But good judges would say they probably will exceed his capacity. So Galvin, Fainu, hopefully, would be long-term better players. But if someone's going to get itchy feet, it's going to be the bloke who's already at that stage, 23, 24. He's also the one we're probably happiest to see leave. And if that's the situation, it'll be a bugger. But, you know, you rewind, right? When did we sign Bud? Was that October? No. No idea. It was, it was like slightly after the end of the season, I think. Anyway, had we at that stage already signed Luai, which was impossible because it was November 1, but had we already had Luai on the books, do you think we signed Sullivan? No. I'm, I'm the same. And so this club did what it hasn't done with Mitchell Moses, which was they had a backup plan ready to go. Yeah, true. So if Luai doesn't arrive and we roll into the next couple of years, at least next year we've got Caesar, Sullivan, Galvin, and possibly a broken Dewey coming back. But now we've got Luai. It's like, okay, so we've got a surplus. When was the last time we've ever had a surplus of halves? Never. I don't think there's I don't think there's ever there's a club at the moment that does have a surplus of halves. No. No. Maybe the benefit because they just keep pushing people up to do the job. Yeah. But... yeah. The one thing I did want to mention as well is a couple of people have balked at the price a little bit and said, oh, 1.2, is he worth 1.2? Look, if you're going to put a nominal value in terms of what we've seen, forget the CV, forget the resume, the just simply the sniff test. Like when you watch Jerome Luai play, is he worth 1.2? Probably not. No. Probably not. 900 to a million maybe. But then if you add in 
all the experience that he's had and the accomplishments he's had in a team sport, mind you. But he, but we'll go through it. It's you now it's redundant. We know this, but he's three-time premiership winner player. He took Samoa at half back to a their first ever World Cup final, uh, and he's the incumbent New South Wales Blues five eight. Right? You say three-time premiership winner, yeah, but he was also it's four straight grand finals he played in as well. Exactly right. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, has held his own playing as the sole sole playmaker. But then I want you to go back and have a look and say that everything's relative, right? So in 2029, which will be, correct me if I'm wrong, that'll be the final year of his contract. Is that right? 25, 6, 7, 8, 9, right? Yeah. So 2029, we're going to be paying him $100,000 more than what we paid Brooks last year. Yeah. So last year, or this year, 2023, in six years' time, we're still going to be paying our, our halfback only a 100000 more. Mind you, the salary cap would have gone up way more than that, way more. And then we compare what the two of them offer to the side. Yeah, like, yeah. Tell me, tell me that that's not good value. We had, an, we had an offer for over a million for a prop. The Titans are, are paying 1.2 for a prop. By yeah, all, like, all likelihood, the Dragons... Yeah, exactly. Manly are paying that for a back rower. You've got, by all rights, St. George are going to pay um, over a million dollars for Adam Fanua Blake, who, by the time 2025 rolls around, is going to be past 30. Yeah. You know, so I don't have a problem with it. And and you look as well at the difference. What is the difference between... Sorry, if the difference between getting him or not getting him is what, 50 or 100K a year, you wouldn't really want to lose an opportunity to sign who is probably the biggest signing in the club's history over 100K a year? Well, no, you don't. No. But I think that another thing too is like, you look, like you said, you look at him face value, the way that he plays and things like that. Would you say 1.2? Does he do the things that Caelan Ponga does who now earns 1.4 in terms of game breaks? No, not at all. But what has Caelan Ponger achieved? He was part of, yes, he's won a couple of State of Origin series, but, you know, there was a couple of times there where he was probably better suited not playing in the Origin. He was a little bit of a hindrance. Um, he can break a game wide open. No two ways about that. But is he worth $1.4 million based on what he's achieved? No. Not in any way. Like, if you sat there and you just, like, again, it's comparing... Um, Luai, if we compare like Luai to Ponga, CV, that's all we're comparing. And you had one point on the table for either, you go with Luai every day of the week because of everything is accomplished. But then you look at them as they play and you go, oh, I don't know, like maybe, you know, you could add that. But he hasn't achieved anything and he's been on 1.4 for two years now and no one's kicking up a stink about that. And that's the thing that I don't completely understand. I've never really understood why people aren't more upset, especially nice fans about that stuff. So I, I agree about the, the nominal value of his contract, but I'll tell you why somebody like that doesn't get challenged as often is I believe that it's uh, game-breaking money. So somebody can be paid based upon their ability to blow a game wide open, even if it's inconsistent. You know, Latrell Mitchell is a prime example. If somebody offered Latrell Mitchell or Joey Manu maybe for another one, Tedesco at his peak, if somebody's paying them, say even upwards up to one and a half million a year, if they are intermittently blowing games wide open and dominating, people go, he's worth every penny. 
and that carries goodwill for several months until they do it again. Whereas Luai's a different type of signing in that he's going to be chief playmaker. So he's more of a comparison to a Cherry Evans or whatnot, where you might not get the game-breaking ability, but you're going to hopefully get consistent control. He's going to be the bloke running the side. He's going to have far more of a say in the results of the side than, say, a Luttrell or an English back in the day or a, um, a Kalen Ponga, to your point, right? So that's where people start to – I think that I think that's the reason why people don't analyse it as much because they don't see Luai scoring four tries a game and beating 74 defenders like Benji did back in the day. So I think that the money value, people start to go, oh, yeah, but has he ever sort of taken a game by the scruff of the neck or has he ever single-handedly swung a game? Well, he might have done it on occasion. He might not have done a, a fancy goose step to do it. He might not have thrown a brilliant cutout pass. But he also might have got his his team home 13 times in the last three seasons that they wouldn't have otherwise in tight contests by his game manipulation. And so that's where the value comes from, right? So, look, I don't know. I, you must agree. But, um, yeah, mate, the, the dollar value to me is on mar, on par for top-line halves. And it goes without saying, CV alone, he's a top-line half and we've got him. I 100%. When they said... You know, for, when the report came out for six million over five years, I didn't balk at that one bit. I was like, "Makes sense." Yeah, so, it's pretty yeah. apparent. It's pretty apparent, though, isn't it, that we heard rumblings about the Bulldogs in a five-year deal, and all we heard was four, four and a half. Oh yeah. Four. Oh, there was no two ways that wasn't his manager. Yeah. No two ways that the manager didn't put that out. And once I saw today that it was five years for six, I was like, "Oh, this is definitely done." He's come back to us and gone, if you can do one, if you can do the extra year, he'll sign. We've given the extra year, so he's committed. Yeah. So that that and that alone, outside of everything else, just gives me all the confidence in the world that the 10-day will come and go. It doesn't mean we won't be anxious. And I actually think that that's going to carry over the Christmas period, which oh, it will. Yeah. So we might not actually get a formal announcement until the new year. Um, but anyway, we can, we can hope that they waive the period after a couple of days and we get a... Maybe you get yeah. Christmas. I think this. I think this week was the last week of preseason training before Christmas. Was it? Okay. Uh, I think so. So I think they're done for the year, uh, and then oh, I yeah. think they come back second week in the new year. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. So, yeah. Well, in some ways, folks, don't expect an announcement uh, maybe before twenty twenty four in January. So yeah. we don't be at all surprised if that's the case. But expect plenty of um, concern and speculation in the meantime, though. Hundred percent. It's funny that we've. We've spent over 45 minutes talking about one player, but there's still actually been so much that's happened to the Tigers in the last week. Not Good just segue. This... We're going to move on to it. I thought this was a, I thought this was a half an hour. Um, yeah, so <laughs> hey, I'm glad we waited. Now, the other, the other two podcasts that we recommend all the time, they did, their, they did their board dismissal show. And I thought, I'm just going to sit on it for a couple of days. I know, maybe I just had a feeling, but as soon as that news came through today, I thought, oh, we have to now. We have to do it with the combination. So, mate, let's move off Jerome Luai, so to speak, figuratively. Um, I'm very excited about that. Let's move to something else that, uh, yes, I guess you would say excited. I didn't cry for joy when it happened. I wasn't wasn't deliberately hanging with bated breath, hoping that they get all crucified, but You've been living under a rock as well. I've already said that phrase once again, or you haven't been following our Facebook page. 
then you would not be aware, but everybody else would, that the entire board has been completely dismissed as of uh, Tuesday, Monday, Tuesday. earlier this Tuesday. week. Tuesday, of course it was Tuesday. And Justin Pascoe quietly slipped out the back door with a resignation as well. So the entire administrative structure above the football department has been completely wiped. In their place, we have an interim four-person board. One of them is still yet to be announced, but um, uh, Barry O'Farrell, former former chairman, who in 2019 was the chairman of the Tigers, and then moved on to another role. But he's a former New South Wales Premier, obviously. He's back there for an interim position for six months to start. And then Shane Richardson um, of Penrith and South CEO fame has stepped into an interim role uh, for six months as CEO as well. Obviously, both those positions will be reassessed at that point. Lee Hadjabentelis, gone skis. Justin Pascoe, gone. All the rest of the kooks on that West Tigers board that have just done absolutely nothing, some of which are also on the Holman Barnes Group board, gone as well. Before we dive into this, I just want to give a gigantic shout-out. Now, we did this on the Ambush page, which is connected to the West Tigers podcast that we plug all the time. I want to give a big, massive shout-out to all the folks over there at West Tigers podcast. Personally, they... I'm going to leave. I'm going to leave some out here. Um, Joel, Steve, Eddie, Gary, Declan, and Kelly. I think I got them all. Those folks over there started this petition that got over 2,000 signatures. It then triggered, uh, obviously, the review. They took it to Holman Barnes. They've gone through the process, um, and this has been obviously the outcome. But I just wanted to say that gigantic credit to those folks for getting the ball rolling. This does not happen without that. I've been blown away by the impact that it has had, and I'm sure they have as well. But I I think it goes without saying that the vast, 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 if not entirety of of the fan base is happy with this outcome, to put it lightly, mate. Am I on the right track there? Oh, I think you've hit the nail on the head, mate. I think there's, um, you know, there was obviously whispers uh, again. There's always whispers that something big was going to happen at the start of this week, the, the review was going to come out. How much uh, impact that was going to have was obviously up for debate. But, yeah, to have them do a full clean sweep was not something I saw happening. And like you, wasn't, you know, wasn't uh, holding my breath for it, wasn't, you know, praying to the gods for it or anything like that. Um, but it's nice to finally see the club show some balls and make a decision based from an external source, not not the infamous internal investigation they did in the start of 2024 to 2022. Um, you know, the one that was done by them in terms of, you know, Pasco and all that stuff. So yeah, they just well, found, a, found a scapegoat and uh, Hardigan was given the, given the flick. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. And um, look, the 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 pieces have fallen where they may. Chips have fallen where they may, so to speak. Uh, like you said, Lee's gone. Chucked a hissy fit when he walked out the door. Threw all of his toys out of the cot, which was hilarious. Like there's like for somebody that is the face of such a successful law firm to act like that. It's pretty pretty embarrassing for him. It should be, um, mate. I've actually um, I've been a, a recent, a relatively long time supporter of 
of Lee in, in spite of criticisms against him and the sorts of things that he said. I've actually not been from the same camp so so much and and I think testament to that is the fact that I you know I believe he has genuine passion for the club and he's invested a shitload of money into the club mm. uh, and I believe that he wanted the best. But to your point, the way that how do I phrase this? The attitude that he showed upon being given his marching orders and the types of sound bites that he provided willingly are so so bereft of any sort of understanding about public image or PR or how to handle himself or how it might come across or anything like that. Um, it's almost baffling, like you said. Somebody who yeah. is a principal, which means a, a heavy stakeholder, part owner in a company as big as Bryden's Lawyers, a lawyer himself, somebody who knows his way around a sentence. I, I could pull up a, the, some of the quotes that he said, but, you know, you could um, you can find them everywhere. They were ubiquitous because, as he likes to do, he likes to talk to a lot of people. The way he left and the complete lack of grace and lack of uh, humility or dignity or self-accountability that he said, that he left with as he left out the door actually took me a little bit by surprise. I would have thought he would have had the, the wherewithal to actually hold his tongue a little bit in that scenario. Oh, yeah, 100%. Um, and so it actually amalgamated with me what the correct decision was and how they got this so right. And I am so happy for him now to be out. And I now understand what everybody has been saying for the last two years. And don't get me wrong, it's not ignorance. I've seen and read and heard everything that everybody else has. I just had a bit of a different take, but I'm, I'm with everyone on this. Um, having him out of the club is has oh. been a tremendous decision, along with the rest of the board who were rusted on and, and did not provide direction. And look, Pasco tried to do what he, he tried his best, but he was the wrong man for the job. Somebody worded it. Um, I can't remember where I read it or heard it. Somebody worded it, and I, I, I think it's got some merit. They said where there are CEOs or there are bosses that work when things are going shit to bring their side or bring a company back up to where it's supposed to be. And then there are people that come in and take it from there up to the upper echelon. And I think that he brought us out of the complete bankruptcy doldrums to a degree, not strictly from a financial point of view, but let's not forget the fact this bloke did basically hand us a center of excellence, the best in Australia on a silver platter. That is his legacy. So he should be credited for that. Um, but, He'd obviously reached the limit in terms of what he could do and he was floundering a yeah. little bit. So, uh, yeah, you know, to use your words, long story short, mate, um, very happy with the outcome and seeing the way that Lee in particular exited made me even happier with the outcome. And then when I found out who the replacement CEO is. Oh, you said um, before, you said before that Lil I might have been one of the biggest signings in this club's history in terms of the merger club. Mm. I go one better and say Shane Richardson is probably better mm. by far. When I heard that news, I shared it with you. Um, obviously, you already knew, but I made I made light of it in our chat that Shane Richardson says rumblings of that. And you're like, yeah, I heard that a couple of days ago as well. I, I said, if that happens, that is absolutely huge. That is mm. just ridiculous. What we and we'll tell, every, we'll, tell everybody, we'll tell everybody why, though. So he started up in Brisbane East. He came down to Cronulla with John Lang. Yep. Um, and they, they turned Cronulla around, around the Super it was League. the 1997 era. Super League Grand Final. Yep. 
Yep, they turned Cronulla around from a broke franchise or a broke club at that point. He then went to Penrith in 02, I think, to 04, where they won yep. the 2003 Premiership. He then yep. went to Scouts, who were coming off, who were broke, coming off the back of two wooden spoons, and saw them through to their. He was there for a while, I think, ten or twelve years, and I saw them. He, through I think there. he left just after he sacked Madge, so two thousand eighteen, yeah. maybe. Yeah, or yeah, something like that, and saw them to their first premiership in forty something years or whatever it was. He's gone. Not only, not only has he tasted success, but he is every. Or oh, Hull is the other one who were facing relegation, and he brought them okay, back up in the English Super League. So he's done it five, four. Four times. times where he's taken a struggling club and brought them back up to be highly successful. And he's the guy. You talk to anybody, you hear any journalist, you hear any talking head talk about Shane Richardson. Richard, he is one of the best administrators in the league. It's pipe dream stuff. This yeah. week we've landed Richo as a CEO, and I'm a strong believer he'll stay on. And I think we've he'll stay six months. And we've, and we've landed Jerome Luai within the space of... I, like, think, there's, I think there's a big thing too four. that can't be... Um, underestimated is also the, the the appointment of Barry O'Farrell. I think that's huge as well. When he first came on board, I think it was twenty was it twenty nineteen? I thought it was twenty seventeen, but I could be wrong. Twenty nineteen. He was there twenty nineteen. Twenty nineteen. Then he left. I think for New South Wales Racing. I think he had more of a commitment with them. He also was a he had some sort of uh, consultancy international job with someone I can't remember, but. Yeah. But let's like you, we we all talk about you know the God Blandies for taking us through uh, the COVID period and not shutting us down or anything like that. I'm pretty certain Barry O'Farrell did the exact same thing for New South Wales horse racing. So that that can't be underestimated how important his appointment is as well. Um, I think, like you said, this week has been somewhat of a pipe dream um, achieved because one. It was the thing too at the moment is, and I think it's probably the smartest decision we've made in a very long time. From what my understandings are, it is a four-man board now with um, obviously you know Barry O'Farrell um, leading it up. There's one from um, the Holmes Group. I think they is it Holmes Group. I can't remember. Holmes, Holmes and Barnes. Yeah. yeah. There's one from West. There's one from Bowmay. There is no one that is overshadowing anyone else remember you know back when we first merged in like early 2000s i think the board was made up of potentially and i could be completely wrong with these figures but bowman obviously had the majority of the the money back then hmm. west was going broke i think it was something like five bowman two wests and then at some point it sort of flipped and went to like five west two bowman because we went broke because they wouldn't rebuild the the uh, leagues club to have that sort of nullified now and gone just means that there's not going to be or oh, where the west where the western magpies where the Balmain tigers let's go at each other it's going to be where the west tigers that's what we are yeah don't need to go that's back it. to the past or anything like that that's what we are it's important to remember though that this is only temporary so the four person board no, is I know only- I know but I think that this is going to be a roadmap for success. I think, like, yeah. temporary is the board. Temporary is O'Farrell. No, sorry, I mean, no, no, no. I mean, the the four-person board is only temporary. They're going to inst- in or reinstall a seven-person board at the conclusion of this interim period. So there will be seven board members once again. I heard, but that, that, I heard that is still up for discussion, but I could be wrong. 
Oh, it might be, but that, that's what I that's what I read is the current plan. But that might change. I don't know. But yeah, yeah. I, I agree with your point. And I think it just comes back to governance, right? It's like if you have good governance in place, if you have good administration in place, everything else falls into place. Yeah. And you know, yeah, I I agree with you, Shane Richardson. Shane Richardson, Richo. I'm just going to go with Richo. Everything yeah, about everything about that bloke just fills you with confidence. The way he speaks, he's forthright, he's honest. Um, blunt is not the right word, but he's direct. You can tell yeah. that he gets what he wants. He pulls no punches. Uh, he's, you know, so and he carries weight. He carries weight in discussions. It's no coincidence in my mind that Tuesday Wednesday morning was his press conference where he basically said, like you mentioned earlier, that he's always been a fan of Luai and he made no secrets of the fact he tried to get into South and believed he was the best young half coming through in the junior days. Then three days later, we hear that he's accepted. No, I don't think whatsoever. And I've actually since read that um, Richardson met with Luai's management the very next day on Thursday and basically has basically just worked his, worked his magic and got him over the line, so... I mean, yeah, I think he hasn't even started in the job. He's not due to start early next year, but you can tell this is the sort of bloke that is exactly what the Tigers have needed for a long period of time. Um, and he's well, also someone, the sort of, someone came out and said this is this catalyst. They can see it very, very similar to the catalyst of when Tim Sheens first came on board in '03. Tim Sheens was what we needed back then. Obviously, Tim Sheens was not not what we needed now, but back then, Tim Sheens and his way of doing things and I guess, you know, the way that he focused highly on, you know, young guns coming through with solid halves pairing and all this jazz, that's what we needed then. It's the same sort of catalyst with Shane Richardson now. You you just said there, this is exactly what the Tigers have been calling for for a well over a decade, well over a decade. And it's, yeah, it's super, like, you know, we every Tigers fan, and I can guarantee you I am speaking for every single Tigers fan out there, we go into every season with a bit of optimism. Always. We're like, there's something's changing, the tide's turning. And for the last 10, 11 years, we've been severely disappointed, especially the last two. But that optimism is a little bit higher now that he's on board. Um, so much so that I am very much willing to put a lot of money on the fact that while we might not make the top eight, we will very we won't be in the bottom four again. That's that's yeah, how confident I am. I said I said we're going to finish ninth. We're going to be back to where we should be overall. Finish ninth because we're going to finish there. Uh, I think in the first week anyway. <laughs> Here we are, barring some unforeseen circumstances. So very quickly, mate, let's go through a possible 2025 lineup. Tell me what we still then need, because obviously squads are forever changing and, and evolving. There is one more thing that obviously you've sort of skipped on. I did mention it before. Obviously, there's the drama going on with Noffa, because obviously we're not going to do another pod till the new year. So yeah. we got a little bit more. So there's the drama going on with Noffa. Do you see him playing for the Tigers again? No. No, he's gone. I don't have any mail on it, but I... Yeah, I, I I could see him still being around come the start of the season, but I don't think he's going to get first pick. Uh, we've got we've got no, Tupo there, who he's going to be given a crack at centres. I've also heard Staines will be one wing, uh, and I've actually heard that Alex Lobb is absolutely setting the world on fire in training. So, um, yeah. 
yeah, if they, I think they're just going to continue to fight tooth and nail to get rid of him. And I think if nothing else, Richo will do a deal to flog him off somewhere. Um, yeah, he's he's done as far as I'm concerned. And then we signed. I'm not going to Solomon. Can I remember? Alamalo. There you go. You do it for me. Um, yeah. Obviously, came over from Super Rugby. The one thing is, I actually haven't seen how long that deal is. Is it two years? Uh, I think it might be two years. Yeah, okay. I think it might be. He's obviously obviously dragging, obviously dragging somebody over from for a code change. Uh, yeah. And to move to another country, it's a bit hard to do that with a 12-month or a training trial. So I think they had to sort of – I'm going to just – I'm making assumptions. They would have had to sort of give some sort of carrot there for him to change because he was playing Tier 1, which is one beneath Super Rugby, but he is returning from a big layoff with injuries and mental health issues. So yeah. prior to that, he's, play, he's played 60 Super Rugby games. Um, in, the wing, in, the center, in the wing, in the centres, and fullback for the Chiefs and the Highlanders, I think. Is that right? Yeah. I think, yes, I'm pretty certain they're the two. Played um, a, fair few, a fair few games for the Chiefs, who are a powerhouse of the best rugby nation in the world. Yep. This, this bloke's no mug. Um, and so it would be very interesting to see how he, how he makes that transition. Yeah, 100%. Um, and, yeah, that's, you know, that's an interesting one in itself because all that drama that's been coming from, you know, not for spitting a dummy, with the signing of that, it's pretty, uh, pretty timely. So yeah, and depending on how he goes and how he trains, I wouldn't be at all surprised if we just fall off Olam all completely. Now I have heard that it's still in the background. Discussions are still happy to be had, but it was definitely on the back burner with the Luai situation. But with Alomalo now signing signing on, I uh, wouldn't be at all surprised if he fills a spot at centre or, yeah, or yeah. wing, or at the very least, is definitely an option at centre or wing. Well, at 197 centimetres and, like, 96 kilos, yeah, definitely take him. Yeah, and an athlete too, so. Yeah. All right. Go back into – segue back to 2025, did you say? Yeah, mate, 2025, uh, just very, very quickly because we do have to wrap up. We've got a habit of running over an hour. What are we, an hour and five? How good. Mate, um, there is going to be a lot of changes, but I just want to go through our way too early projected squad for 2025. Uh, and then what gaps, if anything, we've got then uh, 12 months to try to fill. So fullback is Buller. Yep. One wing, Staines. Yep. Who are your centres in 2025? Well, I had Tupo as one because you and I both agree that, and we've said it time and time again. He's um, definitely a very good centre. He's a good winger, but I think he's a better centre. Now, I had Naden coming back into it, but I've had a bit of a rethink. And I reckon... Remember, 2025, not 2024. No, no. Dewey. Yep. I think Dewey's our other centre. Okay. Um, and then Lob is our other winger. What about yourself? Right. Uh, I think Dewey's going to be gone. I think he's proven he can't tackle in, in the centres. Um, so not Dewey for me. I think Toe is still around. I think Toe is probably still picked. And then the other side... Um, yeah, it, it's it's hard to say. As much as they're going to give Tupo a look at centres, I don't know if he's if he's suited at centres. It'd be interesting to, to see. But you know, there's a Felidi, there's a there's a Naden who's signed. Then still, there's a Tupo, um, and there's Alamalo as well. There as options. Yeah, but we're not we're not given lists. We're given more. Who do you think is going to be there? I know this. I'm just saying this is the tricky the tricky one. So uh, <laughs> I'm going to say I'm going to say. Uh, 
I'm going to say Tupo and Alan Marlow, actually. I'm going to leave Toa out. Okay. And I'm going to say um, that the other winger is either Lob or Luke Lelili, Kit's younger brother. Yeah, you've talked about him in the past. I haven't seen enough of him to... But remember, this is 2025, and this is... Uh, is he, it's Kit's younger brother, isn't it? He is, yeah. So he'll still be young. He'll still be, I think, 19 that year. But um, he's yeah, similar to Kit. He's developed for the so... In the, he's in the Brian Toto mould. All right. Yep. Uh, 5-8. So 5-8 is going to be... Fainu. Yep, Fainu. And obviously Luai is going to be the halfback. That's exciting yep. to say. Uh, have you still got Dave Clemmer up front at 8? Nope. I've got him on the bench. Okay. I've got Pole as starting prop and him on yep. the bench. Okay. But I don't mind... They, yeah, I think that Clemmer has done absolutely nothing wrong. You and I both have sung his praises a fair bit this year of how much work he's put in. Um, I just think by that point he'll be 30. Um, I think Pole will definitely have hit his straps. Uh, I think Clemmer can be very much what a JWH is now for the Roosters, just come on and add that little bit of impact that's needed. Yep, I'm happy with that. Do you run a risk then, though, because twelve sign long-term too, Yeah, obviously. Do you run the risk of having two high-motor, average-impact props on the bench then, though? No, I don't think so. They Clemmer and Twole on the bench both offer enough? I think so. I think so. I think, um, yes, Twole does have that high-motor, um, but he also can just tighten up that middle and defensively when we need him in the back end of each half. And that's definitely something like you want somebody to come in to have that impact. And like, I think that, you know, you can't sit there and say, this is how it's going to be. But obviously you bring one forward off to bring another forward in to turn up the middle. Then when that other forward comes back on, who is a bit more of a high impact, like a Pole comes through the middle hard, pushes through, you know, bends the line, things like that. But yeah, I think that that for me, that's my two props on the bench, is Clemmer and Twelve. Okay. Uh, I'm going to say that the starting props are still the same in 2025, Clemmer and Utoi Kamanu, um, mainly because Pole will only be 22, 23 at that point, 22, I think. And so he's still very young. And I think that I think 2025 will be the year he starts to get bigger minutes, and I think that he will be looking to transition 2026, so maybe a year or so later. And I also want to keep that up-tempo. I want to play that big power impact game off the bench. And when you hear my bench, you'll know why. Um, so, yeah, that's what I'm That's what I'm going with, basically. Um, so, Steph and um, Clemmer, Appy is the hooker. Your yep. second rowers? Uh, I've got uh, Solomon Fayenu. Solomon Fayenu. Samuela. Samuela Fayenu and uh, Bateman. Because in my eyes, I think Papali is gone. I think he's yeah. gone sick of it and left. Um, he didn't. Do for me. He didn't do enough for me anyway this year. But not, that's not all his fault. You know, he was in a struggling club that couldn't give him quality ball um, when he needed it or anything like that. But I think we'll part ways um, mutually. I think it'll be accepted on both paths. So back into next year. Um, so yeah, I've got uh, Fainu and Bateman. As my back rolls. Okay. One second, sorry. Yeah. 
<laughs> Sorry, guys. That was my daughter coming in, not realizing. She doesn't think I do it on a Saturdays. She's usually in bed by the time we do it on Tuesdays. So yeah. Yeah, as soon as she realized she came in, she was like, oh, my bad. <laughs> That's all right. I, um, I was actually going to say the same thing. I agree. I actually think we use Papali'i. I think he's very replaceable, and I think Sam Weller is going to come in as an option, although he, he's a possible option for prop as well, and I like that versatility in him. But I think Sam Weller and Bateman can play in that position. The only change I would make to that is if we still don't have a lock established, and I still, I'm still not sold on Matamua, and I still think the likes of Kit and Fa'agutu are more middles or possibly an edge. So I actually don't nice. mind. Yeah, I've got Matamua as my lock. Yeah, so I actually don't have a drama with the possibility of Bateman shifting to lock if it's tr- if it's played properly with Sam Weller and Papali'i on the edges. If that's not the case, I think, to your point, we actually look to trade Papali'i and get value. And I think we get value. We try to get value out of a centre. Yeah. Because I'm putting the cart before the horse. I was going to say, at the end of naming this 17, where are our shortcomings? I think it's still centre. I think we use Papali'i to try to get the best centre we can out of New Zealand, for example, or Parramatta. We look at those two clubs, we go, who's their best centre? Is it a Penasini or is it someone like that? And we try to work a trade there. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're the options. Um, if that's not the case, then I'm running with um, – so if he is just if he is just gone, sorry, so I'm running with Sam like you. So Sam Fainu, I think he's going to really come on and really come into his own. And then Bateman um, as the other um, – as the other – second rower and then my lock is going to be probably someone like a like a Laoli'i, more of a traditional middle so a kit Laoli'i um, but possibly a Matamua to your point but then we'll move on to the bench and the 14 2025 TDS yeah okay so he's going to be playing bench at that point yeah well, I think to start 2025 I think TDS who will still only be 20. at the very start 19 Pushing 20, I think he can still be playing Reggie's at that point. He'll play, be playing some first grade, but I think we actually, for me, I'm going to carry Bud there at 14. I think there's a bit more versatility that he offers. He can play yeah. in the halves. He can play, he can probably play fullback, and he's definitely going to be able to play dummy half too. So for 2025, for the start, it's Bud for me. But then I'm looking impact on my bench. Your bench, you've got Clemmer, Twal, TDS. And Lowley. I've got Kid on yep. that. Okay. So that's my bench, yeah. TDS, Twal, Clemmer, Lally. I'm definitely going to forget someone. I've got Bud at 14. I've got um, Kit at um, Kit at 15 if he's not playing in that lock position, depending on what's happening. I've got Fa'agutu, Chris Fa'agutu off the bench. And then I've got um, then I've got Twal there as well. But do you think, like, has Fa'agutu even played New South Wales Cup yet? He played Queensland Cup when he was still at school. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I'm, I'm happy either way. But that's yeah. and he played yeah, he played New South Wales Cup last year. There you go. So centers, mate, we're still short in centers. We are. Yeah. But um look if one comes on the market, I think we've still got some money in that war chest. Um no, I think so too. I think there's I, – I, I don't see any quality centres coming through this year that we can probably start for 2024. Yeah. But I think there's a few, like – give me two secs. I'll just bring it up. Uh, contract 2024. 
So who have we got that we can potentially get uh, 2024 position? So we've got in the centres, Kotrick. No. Uh, why is it? No. Uh, oh, it's not giving me everything, but I can sort of. You got um, Jordan Pereira. No. No, I don't. I don't think we're going to pick someone off the shopping list for who's available. I don't think that's going to be the best option for us. I think we're going to have to use a bit of trade bait if we can. You reckon? Yeah, I think so. I think that's well, our best option. There's a few that's still off contract. That'll be off contract that we could go after, um, but none that's sort of like you know. There's a Katoni Stags, but he'll never leave Brisbane, really. Um, but everything, well, everyone else is kind of subpar. There's no real standout centres anymore. You know what I would offer? I would I would have a look at a couple of gun wingers to see if they're interested in a center center position to get a little bit further in to get their hands on the ball a little bit more. Someone yeah, who springs yeah. to mind is like a Selwyn Cobo yeah. as well. Okay, Katoni Staggs is another one I'd think about because they've got Dean Mariner who's just come in, and they're always seem to be flush with outside backs. And Katoni Staggs comes from Dubbo, so he's a New South Wales boy originally. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I think I think there are some options around that. Like I mentioned before, we could offer Papali'i up for like a Penasini or something. Um, and another mob that often have good outside backs are Warriors. And they've just had hard to get And they've just they a nice aeroplane there. So they've just built a... Um... Nope, that would be Thunder. Oh, wow, well, okay. We've got a few here too. So we've also, we've just... Um, the New Zealand Warriors have also just locked down one of their centre spots as well, so there's going to be a bit of a log jam there. So maybe we look at something like that. But let's not get too far into those waters because um, we're already an hour and 20 in and we've only spoken about, what, two people? <laughs> Rich Owen, Luai. Look, there were two people that needed to be talked about. Mate, um, anything else you want to mention before we sail off in the sunset? No, nah, I, think, I think that was a good way to wrap up 2023. We, I think this is our third wrap-up um, podcast which is funny but you know this is definitely the last one because you know we're both on our christmas break next week so that's it and this will definitely be the last one before we come back refreshed and ready in 2024 last thing i'll throw to you do you think there's going to be any twists in the luai saga oh god probably <laughs> it is us it is us and us going after a marquee player probably don't know what it is can't predict what it is but probably Okay. Do you think he he uh, gets pushed and comes this year or next year? For for Papaliti? Yeah. They need back rollers, don't they? Hey, that's it. I've uh, I've I've heard one or two possible whispers, but anyway, we're gonna leave it there. Mate, um, I'm going to throw a few PSAs out there for the world. We've already given a nice little plug to the West Tigers podcast. Everybody, all our listeners know how much we respect those blokes over there. So get over and follow the West Tigers podcast, particularly in light of what they've done with the petition. Once yeah. more, well done to that entire, that entire, as I say, organisation, but that mob over there, they should be very, very, very proud of themselves. I know that we're grateful for them. West Life is obviously the other mob that we say, give them a good follow. They do good stuff too. Find us on YouTube, Spotify, Facebook. Uh, we've been nice and active over um, the current Christmas holiday period so far, and hopefully long may that continue. We've got a bit more time up our sleeve, so 
our socials are uh, blowing up, especially with all this news. Get over, give us a like and a follow if you are able to. Mate, big news this week. couple of big stories. It's Christmas has all come at once. I've got to put my Santa hat back on. Mate, this is, it. this is finally it for 2023. Yep. So Merry Christmas to you, sir. Thanks for another lovely Merry year. Christmas. Happy New Year. Absolutely. And thanks to all our listeners for tuning in. We've had an absolutely glorious year. It's been spectacular. What a way to finish. And look, hey, the hope monster has got us again. Yeah. <laughs> that bastard. Got us in a chokehold every year, hey? You that put your bastard. house on it. Mate, oh. I think the only thing left to do for 2023 is say, I love Jerome Luai and go the West Tigers. I love Richo. Go the West Tigers. 